Welcome to Nest Church, and thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this word blesses you today. For more information, visit nestchurch.com. We hope to see you soon. And remember, you are Amen. How's everybody feeling this morning? Everyone's good? All right, beautiful. It looks like it's going to be a sunny day, so no rain today. Praise the Lord with that. Um, you know, a lot of people here in Florida, they're like, oh, man, the summers are so awesome in Florida. I hate summertime here. It's hot, it's humid, it's rainy, and there's mosquitoes. Come on, man. If you guys, that's what everybody comes on. The beaches are great. I've, listen, I've lived there my whole life. I've probably been to the beach in the past 10 years, maybe twice. Okay, so take me somewhere nice and cold. Take me to the mountains. Take me to Yosemite National Park. Take me to take me to beautiful places. I don't, this is a swan. Listen, I love Miami. It's good. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? Hey, man. Hey, listen. It's great to be here with you guys all again today. Um, if you remember, the last few times I've been up here, we have been diving deep into the book of Romans. Amen. Yeah, the book of Romans. Uh, we looked at chapter 7, we looked at chapter 8, and man, like we've learned so much amazing doctrine, so much um, amazing fundamental principles that Paul just continues to outline for us in this letter. And let me tell you this, if you've ever spent any amount of time studying through this book, you begin to see that Paul really gets to the core of issues within the human heart. And he doesn't hold back, and Paul is really an apostle that calls it as it is. He doesn't hold back with truth at all. And that's what I love about Paul. He comes with the truth, and the truth sometimes, what happens? It causes conviction in us. And truth, when we are convicted by it, it causes what? It causes us to operate in a different way. And I hope that's true for your lives here today, that we begin to operate in a different way because the Spirit of God begins to move in us in a different way. And that's what it is, and that's amazing. And, and the way that we operate in our faith speaks a lot about the way that we believe, about what we believe, about God. And my prayer is always going to be that truth just continues to convict our hearts and that we never stay in a place that we no, no longer desire to move and stay stagnant. And we don't want to move for the kingdom, and we don't want to do work for the kingdom. And I hope that's nobody in here, but I can tell you in my personal walk, that has been me at times. I become very stagnant in the things of God, and I don't want to move in the things of God. So if that's you here today, I hope that you're blessed by this word. So let's do a quick recap, just in case you weren't here last time. I'm going to give you a couple verses from chapter 7 and chapter 8, just so you could kind of remember what we spoke about. Uh, so when we go back and we look at chapter 7, maybe you remember this. Paul speaking this, and he says this in verse 18. He says this, for I know that nothing good dwells within me. And that's just hard to hear at first. And then he says, this is my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it's no longer I who do it, but it's the sin that dwells within me. You know, and I read this, and, and it's like the story of my life sometimes. And I don't know if you guys could relate to this. Um, but like, I know what's right, and, and I know what I ought to be doing, and I want to do what's right, but man, it's like my flesh sometimes, it doesn't allow me to do it. I can't carry out the right. And Paul, we see here, he's saying it. I know what I'm supposed to do. 
But my sinful nature, my wretched heart, it gets in the way of what God wants me to do. It gets in the way. And can, can anybody here identify with a struggle like this? It's crazy when we really start diving into the word. And I told you, Paul doesn't hold back with these things. Then later on in, in chapter 7, verse 24, he calls himself something very interesting. He says it. He says, I'm a wretched man. And in verse 24, he says, as wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And what amazing perspective Paul had. You know, I've met many religious people before. And the last thing that they will ever admit is that they are wretched. And maybe some of you have met people like that. Right? They fail to forget that Jesus came for those who are in need of a physician, for those who are sick. And he didn't come here to call righteous, but he came to call sinners to repentance. And I can tell you this. I'm the first one standing here before you today, and I'm going to tell you that. I'm going to fail. And I'm probably going to fail some of you guys. And I might do some things that are not right, and I might say some things that are incorrect, and I might not live up to your expectations at times. But in my failure, I want to ask you, before the failure even occurs, I want to ask for your forgiveness in this. Okay, I ask for forgiveness because, man, I still love you guys and I still want to do life with you guys and, and I want to grow with you guys. And I hope I have some friends in here that feel the same way because if not, what I said, it's going to be kind of weird. Okay, so, so that, that's the truth, man, but that's the truth. And all of us, we're going to fail at one point and that's okay. Because why? Because we have a great deliverer. We have a great advocate for us. Can, can we get an amen there? And the last recap verse is this, Romans 8, verse 1. It's a very popular verse that many of you are going to know. Therefore, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What position on this verse? Uh, this verse just speaks so much depth, and it brings so much hope to the life of the believer. You know, a great takeaway from chapter 8 is to remember this. There's no condemnation, and there's no separation. So remember that. No condemnation, no separation. If you are in Christ, remember these two things. You are not condemned, and there is nothing that can separate you from his love. So no condemnation and no separation. So today, we are actually going to be going over Romans chapter 10. And we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 15. So if you have your Bible, if you have your mobile device, you can turn there now. And I'm going to read through the text. Um, that way we can have the word stirring in our hearts and in our minds. And if you could give me an amen once you get there. All right. Romans chapter 10. And he starts with this. Dear brothers and sisters... The longing of my heart and my prayer to God is for the people of Israel to be saved. I know what enthusiasm they have for God, but it's misdirected zeal. For they don't understand God's way of making people right with himself. Refusing to accept God's way, they cling to their own way of getting right with God by trying to keep the law. For Christ has already accomplished the purpose for which the law was given. As a result, all who believe in him are made right with God. We go to verse 5, for Moses writes that the law's way of making a person right with God requires obedience to all of its commands. But faith's way of getting right with God says, don't say in your heart who will go up to heaven, that is to bring Christ down to the earth, and don't say who will go down to the place of the dead, that is to bring Christ up to life again. In fact, it says this, the message is very close at hand, it is on your lips and in your heart. 
And that message is the very message about faith that we preach. And then we get to verse 9. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. And it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. As the scriptures tell us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Now listen to this next part. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go to tell them without being sent? That is why the scripture says, how beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring the good news. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for this scripture, Lord. We thank you for the writings of Paul here. Lord, Holy Spirit, we need your help here today, Lord God. We need your guidance so we can interpret this scripture correctly, Lord. So Lord, I pray for your presence here today, Father God. We thank you, Lord. And as your people, we say yes and. Amen. Amen. All right, awesome, man. There's so much great information here today to dive into. And you know, the, the book of Romans is a very challenging text to read sometimes because Paul really brings um, conviction to the believer. And I'm not sure if you guys have felt conviction while reading the word, but that's what the scriptures are meant to do. Uh, they're meant to, to tug at the uncomfortable parts of your life. And here in chapter 10, we're going to read some great things regarding true faith in Jesus and about one's own righteousness. And that's really been the focus of what Paul begins to write to the Romans, is their own righteousness and what true saving faith looks like. And at the end of the chapter, we're going to see that Paul begins to speak about something that is so relevant to the church today. And we're going to, be, we're going to tie all this in together on what Pastor Regal has actually been speaking of for the past two weeks, a great harvest and how you are equipped to go out and work the fields a great harvest i want you to remember that great harvest and you saw the video it was funny he took a picture of me i had a wig on i heard people laughing those were the days when i had hair my hair wasn't that crazy okay so it's a great harvest and man we're equipped and we were out there yesterday and what were we doing we were doing god's work And that's what we're called to do. We're not called to just come to church and stay stagnant and listen to a good word and go home and then that's it. That's not the life of a believer. But we're going to get into that. Okay, so let's dive into it. Verse, chapter 10, verse 1. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. Who Who is Paul talking about? He's talking about Israel. And he goes on. I know what enthusiasm they have for God, but it's misdirected. It's misdirected zeal, for they don't understand God's way of making people right with himself. Refusing to accept God's way, they cling to their own way of getting right with God by trying to keep the law. When Paul says the law, he's talking about what? He's talking about the Ten Commandments, okay? So he says, a great zeal. What's the meaning of zeal? Zeal is this. It's a great energy or enthusiasm in pursuit of a cause or an objective. So they were on fire. Israel was on fire. They were on fire. They were excited. And maybe you remember, or, or maybe you have met a new believer, and right when they come to the faith, what do they have? They have a great zeal. 
Maybe you guys experienced that when you first came to the Lord. You had a great, amazing zeal. And I remember when I first came to God, I had that zeal. I remember you can ask my wife, I had such a great zeal. I wanted to do everything. I wanted to give up everything. I wanted to move to, I told my wife, I'll move to a distant land right now. I'll go anywhere God calls me to go. I'll go to the jungles to preach the gospel. I wanted to do crazy things like that. I wanted to give up my entire life, man. I wanted to do mission work. And I was ready. I had a great zeal for these things. And maybe you guys think that's crazy. But is it really crazy? One of our cults is, well, we're not normal. This, this story, it's not crazy things. The disciples gave everything up to follow Jesus. So it's not that crazy for us to have that type of desire. And listen, I'm not saying that we're all called to go overseas to a mission field. But we, all, we are called to do work for the kingdom. And that may look different for all of us. A lot of you know, I used to go out and I used to do a lot of street preaching in like, I don't know how to say it, really sketchy neighborhoods. I used to go to really bad neighborhoods to, to street preach, and I used to hold these signs, and, and I used to pray for people in parking lots, and, and I would just do these weird things, and, and listen, I had to settle for that because I couldn't move to the jungle at the time. So I said, okay, let me, let me go out to like really rough areas of Miami, and let me just start street preaching. My wife came with me one day, and she's like, man, I don't know, I can't do that. But she was there, she was good support. But I was there, I don't know if you've ever been to Biscayne Boulevard and 79th Street, that's a very rough area. It's a very rough area. It's a very rough intersection. There's a lot of traffic, a lot of people walking, a lot of foot traffic. There's a strip club like right across the street from me. So I used to go to these areas to street preach. I, I had a great zeal for the things of God. But there was a lot of things that I didn't know in the beginning. I was just learning foundational things of the gospel. So I had the zeal, but I didn't have much knowledge yet. I was growing in the things of the Lord. Not to say that my zeal was misdirected. I was headed on the right direction, but I had a lot to learn. I had a lot to learn as a new believer, as a new Christian. And now we look at what Paul says here. He says this in verse 3. They, Israel, he's talking about Israel, they had a great zeal, but their zeal was misdirected. Look what it says in verse 3. For they don't understand God's way of making people right with himself. Refusing to accept God's way, they cling to their own way of getting right with God by trying to keep the law, trying to keep the commandments. So they had the fire, they had the zeal, but the zeal didn't lead them to the cross. They were ignorant and not knowledgeable of what God had bestowed upon them. So what did God bestow upon them? That salvation and righteousness comes through Jesus. It comes through Christ. And they couldn't grasp that. They couldn't believe that it was so easy to just believe and have faith and you'd be saved. And that's really how, that's really how simple it is. And they, they had a works-based salvation plan. That's what the people of the time had. And, and many religions actually operate this way. Today. And what is it? What do you mean? How they, this is the way they operate. What must I do? They take Jesus out of it completely. And they add themselves into the, into the equation as if Jesus isn't enough. And I can prove this to you. Go ask any religion if they're going to go to heaven. 
Ask the Muslim, ask the Jew, ask the Hindu, ask the Buddhist, ask the Jehovah Witness. You know what they're going to tell you? They're going to tell you, I hope so. I'm not sure. I hope I make it. It depends how many good things I do here on earth. And it's going to depend if God is happy with me. Very sincere people. I'm sure Israel at the time was very sincere in their zeal for God. Religions today are very sincere. They're nice people, but they're wrong in the beliefs. And this is what Paul was preaching, that salvation comes through Christ and Christ alone. The Christian is the only one who can say, yes, I know for sure that I will be in eternity with the Lord. We're the only ones that can claim that. And it's not based on what I do, not based on what we do, because that'd be crazy to say that I merit heaven based on my actions. That's just, that's crazy because I'm a criminal before God. And I've preached this out on the streets, I don't know, hundreds of times. I'm a criminal. I've broken every commandment. I've rebelled against everything that God has said. It's not in my own merit that I go to heaven, but on the merit of Jesus and what he did on the cross. That's the gospel, man. We don't make it there because of what we do. We make it because of the shed blood of Jesus. And thank God, because I will never make it to heaven based on my own merit. You guys will never make it there based on your own merit. That's just the reality of it. And that's what grace is. That's what grace looks like. If we look at this verse, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, it says this. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not of your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. I'm not making these things up. This is God's word. This is what he's saying. You're saved by my grace, by your belief. Not based on what you have done, but based on what Christ has done. It's not me. It's not Pastor Rigo. It's by the grace of God that heaven is possible for guilty sinners like me. All right, let's go to verse 4. For Christ has already accomplished the purpose for which the law was given. As a result, all who believe in him are made right with God. Now Paul, catch this, Paul's not saying that the law is gone and that the commandments are done away with. He's not saying that because we're still learning from the commandments, right? It's still a reflection of what God's standard is. He's saying that for the believer, the law is done with because Jesus already came and fulfilled it. He's fulfilled the law. So we're not going to stand before God and be judged by how good we kept the commandments because all of us will be in a very great deal of trouble. So no, instead, Jesus kept the law and now his righteousness is given to all who repent and believe. Now, the next few verses, you're going to see Paul speaks on how it's not the law, it's the Ten Commandments, but, but by faith. And he's going to describe this kind of in an odd way. And Paul tends to do this sometimes in some of his writings. So verse 5, he says this, For Moses writes that the law's way of making a person right with God requires obedience to all of its commands. So you got to kind of see the context here. In the Old Testament, this is what the Jews were following. This is what they had. This is what they lived by. God was telling the Jews that if you keep the law, then you will be seen as righteous and you will live. But this is the issue that no one could perfectly keep it. And the Jews themselves, they recognized that. And that's why God sent Jesus who kept all of the commandments 
and still took the penalty of sin, even though he had no sin, in which to die for. There's such great scripture on this. Um, I forgot what book it was in, but there is a scripture that says that he became sin when he knew no sin, so that the righteousness of God could be applied to us. And that's what Christ did. He came down from heaven to take our penalty away. He kept the law perfect. We can't keep the law perfect. He kept the law perfect. And he died a death that he didn't deserve because of love that he has for his people. We'll go to verse 6. But faith's way, look what he's saying. But faith's way of getting right with God says this. Don't say in your heart who will go up to heaven. That is to bring Christ down to earth. And don't say who will go down to the place of the dead. That is to bring Christ back to life again. And this is what a works-based salvation looks like. It, it's not about doing X amount of things, saying who's going to heaven based on what you have done or, or who is going to the abyss based on what you have not done. So what does it say? We go to verse 8. In fact, it says the message is very close at hand. It is on your lips and it is in your heart. And that message is very clear. It says it, and that message is the very message about faith that we preach. That's the message that Paul is preaching. So we see here, Paul just keeps reiterating these things. Righteousness by faith is not about doing things to get righteous. It's about doing things. It's about not doing things, about getting God's approval, hoping that he's going to be happy with you. No, on the contrary, righteousness by faith is what's in your heart, what you're confessing, and what you're believing. In the whole context of this, in the whole context of salvation, this is what Paul is saying. The word of faith that we proclaim, right? It's not what you do, but what you believe. And that's what Paul says. This is the very message about faith that we preach. You're no longer bound by the law. You no longer have to do because Jesus did. You don't do because Jesus did. Now, I don't want to confuse you. I don't want you to think, okay, perfect, I'm saved. Now I don't have to do anything at all. That's not the life of a Christian. We are called to do good works. Okay, look at Ephesians 2 verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The salvation aspect is not of our works, but our works testify of our salvation. Our good works should flow from a place of abundance of joy, a place of gratitude, from a place of gratefulness. What have we been speaking on here the past two weeks? We've been speaking on harvest and about putting our hand to the plow. So according to Ephesians, along with many other verses, the Christian is actually a worker, a worker for the kingdom of heaven. That's what we are. We're workers. A person that is saved puts in the work for those things in which he believes. You guys agree with that? So there's work to be done. There's work to be done. A lot of work to be done. And we're going to get into some verses here where you're going to see that. So the next following verses, many of you are going to know them. They're very powerful verses that I myself have used many times for evangelism because there's just so much truth to them. And Paul really writes this so simply that anyone could understand it and anyone could grasp it. Okay? Let's look at verse 9. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Verse 9 is so interesting. Shouldn't it be that we have to believe first and then we confess with our mouth? It's like, man, like Paul kind of switched this here. But he actually did it because back in verse 8, he said, it's in your lips first and then in your heart. And we remember when Jesus said, from the abundance of the heart, the mouth is going to speak. So what you are speaking is what you are believing. Has someone ever told you about a restaurant that is just so good that you need to try it? Listen, you're not going to brag about a restaurant that's really good if you've never been there. We just don't do that because we haven't tried it yet. But, but once you try it, you're like, man, okay, I'm convinced. This restaurant is good. And you begin to confess that to others. Hey, you guys have to try this place. You have to come here. It's going to be to your benefit. It's just so good. You want everyone to know that you have to try the food here. You know that's happened to me and it's backfired? I give a recommendation on a restaurant. It happens to my mom a lot. Like, she'll ask me, hey, okay, tell me about a good place. Was it good? I go, mom, the food there is so amazing. You have to go. And then she goes, and I kid you not, my mom's very honest with me. She'll tell me, that is the worst food I've ever had. <laughs> so I've learned with her. Now when she asks me about places to eat, I go, mom, I have no idea. <laughs> I can't recommend anything to you. I can tell you about a place that I went that I had a great experience, but I can't recommend that you go there. You might not like it. Because it's backfired. It's like, man, I felt so amazing. Like, this is the best food ever. And she literally told me this one. She goes, it's the worst food I've ever had. <laughs> Listen, it could have been an off day. You know what I mean? But So I don't make recommendations on restaurants like that anymore. Because I don't want to disappoint somebody. And I don't want to hold the place up so high. You know what I'm talking about. So anyway, the same thing. Uh, the only way someone can confess Jesus as Lord is because they have believed it in their heart. And you believe it in your heart because you heard truth. Truth at one time was brought to you. And when the truth comes, what happens? Scripture says it. The truth sets you free. And we always remember that verse in John, right? When Jesus says that he is the way, the truth, and the life. So not only is Jesus the truth, but he's the only way to get the truth. And once you believe the truth... It doesn't just stay there. It says that he's the life. Eternal life is found in him, right? These are foundational things of Christianity that we all know. And the truth is such an important aspect of our lives, especially in today's day. You know, we live in a day and age where everyone says, have you ever heard this phrase? Oh, my truth. I'm just living my truth. And this is my truth, and I believe it, and my truth is this, and my truth is that, and I'm living my truth. Instead of people believing their own truth and their own feelings and their own emotional experiences and their own beliefs and their own hearts and, and they want to do what's right and they want to follow their own desires, right? Because I you know what the Bible says about the heart when we want to follow our heart, that our hearts are wicked, they're deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? Maybe people need to open up the scriptures and start believing God's truth. That's what we need in this generation because God's truth doesn't have what? It doesn't have feelings. It doesn't have emotions. It doesn't change like the wind. God's truth is built on something. It's built on solid ground. It's never going to change because it's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. When you believe in God's truth, look what happens. Look at verse 11. 
For the scriptures say, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. You're not put to shame because of God's truth. Because there's nothing shameful in truth. And in this verse, it's actually really a promise from the Lord that whatever he says he's going to do, he will do it. You're not going to be put to shame. You're not going to be forsaken. You're not going to be forgotten about. You're not going to be an orphan because of your belief in him. You have now been adopted. This is what God's truth is telling us. And this is what righteousness by faith is. Your repentance and your belief unto him. And my hope is that everyone in here has made this very confession. And if you've made this confession, maybe you're asking yourself, okay, now what? I've repented of sin. I believed in Jesus. Now what do I do? Well, now it's time to get to work. It's time to put your hand to the plow. Because remember, your work doesn't save you, but your works testify that you're saved. It goes on to this next verse. For there is now no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Wow, man, what hope is found in here? It's not just for the Jew or Greek. It's just not for white or black. It's not for Asian or Hispanic. It's not for the married or the divorced. It's not for the fathers or the fatherless. It's not for the healthy or the sick. It's not just for the rich or the poor, but it's all who call upon his name. That's what the Bible says, that he's rich in mercy. And it's mercy that, that's given to all who have repented. God's not holding back his mercy from us. For those who want it, in fact, it's the quite opposite. He actually desires for all to be saved. You see that in 1 Timothy. It says, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. His mercy and grace, the rich, and he desires for us to have it. That's why he says it's for everyone that calls upon his name will be saved. This is not an exclusive message. You don't have to be part of a special club. You don't need a special pass. You don't have to have a hook up to get access to these things is simply just to call upon his name. Does anybody here have a Costco membership? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> BJ's, is that what you said? No, okay, good, all right, you're in the right gang. <laughs> it's like the Crips versus the Bloods, you know? It's, oh no, I'm Costco, I'm BJ's, oh, you better not, man. No, we got Kirkland and they got some other, I don't even know what it is. You know what I'm talking about. I have a Costco membership and I like to always mess with people. I always, I always tell Jess, I always say, man, you know, like I have an exclusive membership to get it. You can't go in. You don't have to pass. It's not, they don't just let any type of person into Costco. Okay? Costco's serious. But don't worry, I might have like a hookup. And maybe, if I put in a good word, maybe they'll let you become a member. Maybe. You know, I make it seem that only special people could go. Not everybody's welcome there. But listen, the truth is that anybody could get one. Costco just wants your money. <laughs> that's, just what, that's just the truth of it. But this is the most beautiful thing about the gospel, that it's a call for all sinners to repentance. And guess what? Everyone qualifies. Everyone's going to qualify for it. We've been here talking about harvest for the past two weeks and what that looks like in our life. What field has God placed before you that is ready to be picked? Maybe the more important question is, is this, are you willing to be a worker of that field? 
And Pastor Regal went over this last week, right, in Matthew 9, 37, that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And I hope you've thought about that because God is calling you here, you, Nest Church, to work. And there's a field that has been laid out and prepared and it's waiting for the soldiers of God's army to labor it. You're in season, church. Pastor's been preaching on that. And if you're not in season, then what? What are you supposed to do if you're not in season? You're just going to sit back and not do anything? The word says what? To be ready in season and, and out of season. Both of them. you got to be ready all times of your life. I think about Paul when he was shipwrecked, when he was beaten, when he was in prison. I wonder, hmm, Paul, are you in season right now? It doesn't look like you're going through a nice time in your life. In all of those conflicts and hardships that Paul was going through, what if he's out of season? What if he said, yeah, you know what, Lord? I don't want to do your work anymore. We wouldn't have a lot of these epistles today because he wrote a lot of the New Testament when he was in prison. So even though Paul was out of season, he knew that there was a greater calling upon his life. I have to continue to serve God's people. No matter what the cost, no matter what I'm going through, no matter what season it is. And Paul recognized that. So church, I don't know what season you're in, but God's calling you to work. He's calling you to work here today. Worship team, you could start coming up. I'm going to start wrapping this up here. We only have a couple of verses left. So we look at verse 14 and 15. And Pastor Regal shared some of these verses yesterday at our outreach. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Verse 15, and how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Paul is asking a lot of questions here. How are people going to call on Jesus? And how are they going to believe in him if they've never heard of him? How are they supposed to know about him if no one has ever told them about him? And he's describing Christians here. And the work that we need to put in for the name of Jesus to be heard. This is the problem. Many people think that this is the pastor's job. That this is the leadership's job. That this is the evangelist's job. No, it's not. You are claiming to be Christian in here? Do you believe every word that's in the Bible? Then you have to believe Mark 16. I'm sorry, Mark 6 verse 15. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. That's us. That's you. That's every believer. We're called to work the fields. This is an astonishing statistic. There are three billion people right now in this world that have never heard his name. Not three million. Three billion people. That's unbelievable. So when the scripture says that the harvest is plenty, the harvest is plenty. But the laborers are few. We're called to go out. And in our going out, it's different for everyone. And listen, you don't have to go overseas. And many people think that mission work is to be done in another country, is to be done overseas. But man, listen, if we can't even do missions in our own backyard, what makes us think that we're going to be effective overseas? Your mission field could start right here in your own neighborhood. It could be your neighbor's. Your mission field could be the Starbucks employee that you see every morning that you order your, your tall white chocolate mocha from. Come on, how many times haven't you had a conversation with that person? It's usually the same barista every single time. 
It could be them. Your mission field could be your workplace. I could promise you this. There is someone in your workplace that is hurting right now. And they are waiting for you to give them an encouraging word. They're waiting for that. Harvest is plenty, but are you willing to be a worker of the field? Man, and listen, I get it. Sometimes we feel that we're not qualified. Right here. That our life is a mess, that we're carrying too much baggage. And maybe you are carrying things that you aren't meant to carry. Pastor spoke about this a little while ago. Maybe we're carrying things we're not meant to carry. And you're praying, and you're saying, Lord, Lord, I want you to use me. And he's saying, I can't use you right now because you haven't let go of certain things. There's things in your life that you have not surrendered to me. Have you guys ever gone through TSA at the airport? Who thinks that's fun? That's not a fun experience, right, when we go to the airport. Me and my wife have, we, we fly very frequently. We have this thing that's called global entry, and it has TSA pre-check in it. So that means that we go and we bypass all the lines, and there's a special line just for TSA that people that have been checked prior. But man, let me tell you this. Sometimes it's like a nightmare going through TSA. Why? Because it's people with a lot of bags, okay? I travel very light. Usually, like, if it's like a three-day trip, I got, like, a book bag on. Yeah, I'm going to show you. I got the book bag here with me. Yeah, like, oh, man, I came prepared today. Check this out. And this thing comes out big. And I travel light sometimes, and I got this book bag strapped to me. But man, there's people in front of me that have so much baggage. They don't just got a book bag. They got one carry-on. No, 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 hold on. They got another carry-on. And it's just one person. And then they got like another bag on top of them and they're just, they're going through TSA and man, why Lord, why is this person in front of me? And they're building up like a traffic jam there. And the line is long and my, my flight, I'm gonna miss my flight because of this person. And then they're trying to get the bag and they're trying to put it through the x-ray and it doesn't fit. And God forbid if there's something in the bag that's not supposed to be there. You know what TSA does, right? Oh, no, 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 no. We gotta get this back. Okay, sir, let's see what you got in here. And I'm behind this person, man, and it's frustrating. And it calls to something deeper, because number one, you shouldn't be traveling with so many bags if you're going on a one-day trip. <laughs> you shouldn't be like that. And then they put this through the x-ray, and you got things that are not supposed to be in there. That is frustrating to me. I just want to get to my destination, God. I'm trying to get to my destination. But then we come to God. Lord, use me. I can't. You have so much baggage. You got things inside that aren't supposed to be there. But Lord, I want you to use me, but my brokenness, I have to take this with me. Because I've been living with my brokenness for so long, Lord, that this has to come with me. And God, I can't forget this. This is my bitterness. I'm such a bitter person, Lord, and I, I want to do great things for your kingdom. But this is coming with me as well. I'm taking it. And let me strap on 
the spirit of offense and unforgiveness, this one is strapped on super tight. This is coming with me as well, God. Man, and God, he's been trying to free you from these things, but you do not want to let him go. You want to travel holding on to all of this. And how is he supposed to use you? How are you going to be effective for the kingdom unless you let this go? And I promise you, church, I'm preaching this to myself because there's so much baggage sometimes that I carry that I don't want to let go. I don't want to let go of some of these things. Let me make something very clear here today. God says that in my presence, these things cannot come. These things cannot come. I don't know what baggage you have, church. You can stand with me here today. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. You're going to hear that's going to be a theme that we're going to be preaching here for a while. But in order for us to be effective in the things that God wants us to be effective in, we have to let go of certain things in our lives. We have to drop some of this heavy baggage. How do we begin to minister to people about bitterness when we're strapped on with the bitterness ourselves? How can we talk to people about anxiety and depressions when it's the first thing that we hang on to we don't surrender it to God? God is calling you, church, to work. And I encourage you, put your hand to the plow. And whatever you need to let go of, let go of it. Let go live in the freedom that God is promising you so we could be effective to others. Amen. Can we give the Lord the greatest praise in here today? <laughs> Hallelujah. Let's stretch around. Lord God, we thank you for today, Lord. Lord, we know, Lord, that the harvest is great, Lord. As you said, Jesus, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So, Lord God, here today, Lord, I pray, Lord, that, that your people have been shook, that something has been rattled in them, Lord God. Lord, just to serve you, to serve your people, to do the work, the work of an evangelist, just the work of a Christian. Lord God, we thank you, Lord. I pray, Lord God, that hearts and minds are penetrated in this place today, Father God. I don't know what people in here are carrying, Lord, but you know every single detail of the things that they carry in their life. So, Lord, whatever needs to be broken, whatever they need to be set free of, free from, Lord God, I pray that you just work that miracle here today. That people could come up here, Lord, and give just give testimony of the goodness of the Lord. We thank you, Lord Jesus. We thank you because you are good. Doesn't matter what season we are in, in season, out of season. Doesn't matter what's going on in our lives, Lord God. Things in our lives change, but you never change. You are constant. So we thank you for an unchanging God. We give you the greatest praise, all of the honor, and all of the glory here today. Together, God's people say, yes, and Amen. Give the Lord the greatest praise.
I hope you guys have an amazing Sunday. It's raining. It's okay. God is good all the time. Amen. Hope you guys have an amazing Sunday, man. Be blessed. Go in power. Be in his word. Be in prayer. Love on a brother and a sister. Man, and let's do God's work. Amen. Hallelujah. Love you guys.